55 p.m. on the East Coast. We are in New York. And we are in the middle of the week now. It's Wednesday. It's hump day. 14th day of June. June 14th, 2023. Got a good one on hand tonight. We're welcoming back a guest who hasn't been on in quite a quite a few years. In fact, he's he's all grown up. And that is John Doyle. Comrade Doyle. Heck off, commie. Well, uh, we're going to be talking to John about culture and about current events and all that stuff. And I hope that, well, I mean, uh, many of you out there have been watching as long as as long as the last time that he was on. I, I went back and I checked the dates. When was the last time that John Doyle was on the show? Because I'm thinking 2017, 18. It feels that long ago. And it still is long. It's May. It was May of 2019. Which anything prior to 2020 really feels like BC at this point. Um, But still, when you think about it, it's still four, a little bit over exactly four years. Four rounded off years. Heaping, heaping spoons full. But um, but that's what we're going to have tonight. Uh, John is a, a very popular and articulate young voice in the political and cultural analysis business. So we should have a, a lot of a lot of good times chopping up the kinds of topics that I have here. And I have quite a few, quite a few, uh, and among them, I'm going to be collecting. CPS, that's Child Protective Services, CPS Horror Stories. In the second half, when we open up the lines, I want to hear from people who have, uh, who have some ideas about CPS. Um, uh, for a long time, I have found them to be uh, another one of those demonic institutions that has all the trappings of a good idea. Because, of course, when you think about helping children and rescuing children from violent and abusive homes, obviously, yes, that is an amazing thing. But it is becoming a, uh, another weaponized arm of the government. It has become another weaponized arm of the overall uh, uh, assault of the psychiatric assault on America, which is just one layer of many. I know, it's a, it's a rat's nest. It really is. So I want to talk about that because, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's all part of it's all part of what is really bugging the younger generations and how they are being recruited by the government to even be uh, to isolate themselves from their families and to become part of the cult instead of something that's lasting and true and and uh, healthy. So that's what we got going on tonight. John Doyle, and then a lot of your calls afterwards. I hope um, tomorrow night I have made a last minute booking. I'm bringing on Brooks Agnew, one of our um, one of our really good scientific minds. He's coming on tomorrow night to talk a little bit about 
all of the uh, a lot of the the comments made about Antarctica in this this disclosure 2.0 Richard Greer thing that went on yesterday. I have all of the the things about it. I also have the 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 recent articles about how there have been claims made that human beings have been killed by aliens inside of one thing. And I started thinking about Philip Schneider. So I want to bring Brooks on not only to talk about Antarctica, what has been said in, you know, in public as of yesterday, whether he is interested in some of it or if it just doesn't pass a sniff test. And then we're going to go into other things, deeper dives into people like Phil Schneider. We've had a lot of his talks on the uh, on the network at night and on the weekends too so that should be a good one tomorrow night it's a slightly shorter show tomorrow night we end around 8 25 because we have book club session three for shoeless joe by wp kinsella with co-host charlie robinson tomorrow night three of four next week will be the end of it and then we have uh, a fun friday night with matt and i already have all of our topics picked out and then next week we kick it off on monday june 19th Monday, June 19th, we kick it all off with Mickey Willis, the uh, writer, director, producer of Plandemic 3, The Great Awakening. So I have, a, I have questions to ask him. We played the Plandemic video on the network over the weekend, I think two weeks ago, so a lot of us were able to watch it together. Mickey Willis will be back for his third appearance in the show on Monday the 19th. And then, uh, yeah, we have actually a pretty loose free and easy week next week, which will be good because I have a lot of other topics I want to do, including some summertime topics because I think it hit, I think we hit the summer next week. No. Yeah. Summertime strikes in the middle of the week next week. That'll be fun. Fun times for all. All right. All right. Uh, let's go into our grab bag. First one up is from zero hedge cheese pizza. Meta's Instagram facilitated massive pedophile network. Now, I was going to bring this up, and I still am, but then I saw, well, you'll see in just a second here. This is from Zero Hedge a couple of days ago. A comprehensive investigation by the Wall Street Journal and the Stanford Internet Observatory reveals that Meta-owned Instagram has been home to an organized and massive network of pedophiles. That's Facebook, by the way, and Instagram. But what separates this case from the most uh, is that Instagram's own algorithms were promoting pedophile content to other pedophiles, while the pedos themselves use coded emojis, such as a picture of a map or a slice of cheese pizza. Must be a coincidence. These pedos are like Q-nuts all of a sudden, right? Instagram connects pedophiles and guides them to content sellers via recommended systems that excel at linking those who share niche interests. And, uh, the, well, this is what the journal and the academic researchers had found. The pedophilic accounts on Instagram mix brazenness with the superficial efforts to veil their activity. Researchers found certain emojis function as a kind of code, such as an image of a map, shorthand for minor attracted persons, or one of cheese pizza, which shares its initials with uh, child, you know, According to Levine of UMass, many declare themselves lovers of the little things in life. That's what they, that's like their mottos and stuff like that. It's sick shit. Now, now they broke into this and they're, they're starting to piece it all together in Instagram. And I'm saying, well, you know, it was, I don't know how many years ago it was at this point, 
Um, but the, a real Facebook whistleblower, because you know we had the the fake one, the blonde chick with the with the uh, the underbite, the weird with the weird mouth, which is she is back in the in the news. We'll talk about her in just a second. A real Facebook whistleblower from a couple of years ago. You might have seen it. You might have seen it. His name was Sean Spiegel, and there was a har- harrowing. It's like an an hour and fifteen minute long interview on Valuetainment. Um, with David Pet- Bet Patrick or Patrick Bet David. Either way, I, I, I love Valuetainment. And um, this is one of those things that was just kind of heart-stopping. This was stomach-churning as well. Sean Spiegel, he was a, um, a content moderator. And, of course, he did not get a day in front of a, a bipartisan congressional audience like the... Uh, like the, uh, the the weird blonde did when she wanted to talk about how girls are impacted by social media in a negative way. But Sean Spiegel went on to t- tell Valuetainment about the gore, the bestiality, the child abuse that thrives on platforms, especially like Facebook, um, especially in private groups on Facebook, where the content is not only shared, it is made to order. It is produced custom for buyers for auction by parents and guardians who are abusing their children. Uh, People are taking orders, taking orders from the scum of the earth to produce videos with children having sex with pigs, and it's horrible, horrible shit. And, And this guy, Sean Spiegel, he's talking about the conditions that the moderators at Facebook were were operating under with the low salary. They're pretty much working in basements. They have no mental support, because you think about watching that stuff, every day and the fact that so many of those reports about violence murders that have been caught on live stream all that stuff was not being taken down and the child abuse was not being taken down they are actually being given reasons why it didn't violate their terms of service you've got to watch it it's it's horrible this is from a couple years ago these are the whistleblowers that are ignored because the blonde chick with the underbite she's out there talking now here's what she's saying She's talking about how tens of millions could die in the coming years. This is a head this is a headline from Business Insider. Tens of millions could die in the coming years if social media isn't overhauled. And of course, what is she talking about? She's talking about mass censorship because disinformation is going to kill us all. She writes that Meta's profits were contingent on no one knowing how large the gap between Facebook and Instagram's public narratives and the truth had grown. Which is People expressing thoughts, theories, ideas, and somebody else's declared truth, the central authorities declared truth, an authority that whether they are right on one subject or not, we have found them to be so wrong and so deliberately misleading in so many instances that they're not worthy of the trust of us to even care about their concern. Haugen, her name is, believes that the only way to change that is to overhaul the understanding of social media, where it's, I don't know, it's just, I, it's just the ministry of truth. The reality is that culture change is hard, she told the Sunday Times. I view this book as part of how we build our consensus. A lot of people will die in the next 20 years if we don't solve this problem. She said the, t- the figures will be in the tens of millions And she did not expand on the comment because, of course, she's just serving a purpose. She's just serving a purpose. 
But you got to go see that Sean Spiegel guy. It was from a couple of years ago, Valuetainment. He's obviously traumatized. Traumatized. Um, but that, that was the whole thing there, that they were, um, to make things worse in Facebook, that he was exposing, is that all these transactions between content producers of this abuse and violence and all that stuff, the transactions that were being processed were being processed through Facebook's native payment processing portal. So it's all being done in private groups where prying eyes were really, I mean, there's no, I I don't know. And, and also they were actually able to transact through, through Facebook. So you can go take a look at that. That's a real whistleblower. I don't know what has come of his case since then, but uh, on we go. Facebook changed its name, so I guess it's out of sight, out of mind. But this Hagen woman about wanting to censor the world and you know we're going to prevent tens of millions of deaths if we just make sure that people aren't able to talk to each other. Well, that goes pretty much hand in hand. It's a different version of what Rachel Maddow and others are rolling out there on, on the news. Uh, this is from Mark Dice, another wonderful report by Mark Dice. I love starting the day with Mark Dice. And, uh, and he was showing how um, the, the media was responding to, A, Trump's very positive um, uh, time there. I guess it was promoting his birthdays today, by the way. Happy birthday, President Trump. And uh, King, King wanted to wish him a happy birthday, too. He said, can you wish him a happy birthday for me? I said, you got it. So, um, so uh, they, they didn't like the, they didn't like all the spectacle of him seemingly seemingly having still support in the face of another onslaught from these fucking jokers, and then also they did not want to carry any of his response to all of this stuff afterwards. And here is what Rachel Maddow had to say, courtesy of Mark Dice for cutting it up. His arraignment, Donald Trump made a rather lengthy statement, but of course CNN and MSNBC didn't want their viewers to hear it because. They only want one side of the story told. Um, We knew heading into this that he was planning to make these remarks. We are prepared for his pre-fundraiser remarks tonight to again be essentially a Trump campaign speech. Because of that, we do not intend to carry these remarks live. Um, As we have said before in these circumstances, there is a cost to us as a news organization to knowingly broadcast untrue things. <laughs> I mean, you gotta hand it to her. You gotta hand it. Well, then again, it's not Rachel Maddow. Rachel Maddow is the person inside of this body that is blinking the SOS signal. Please help me. Dump holy water on me. Prepare the right. I mean, it is. It. It. It's it, it just. That is just incredible to hear them say things like that. Good God. We are here to bring you the news. It hurts our ability to do that if we live broadcast what we fully expect in advance to be a litany of lies and false accusations, no matter who says them. See, so there is uh, there is Rachel Maddow. Rachel Maddow explaining why the news organization she works for just can't, out of good conscience, conscience carry the news. For the same reason why social media needs to be overhauled and we need to change the culture of free speech because it's getting harder and harder and harder to keep the sheep corralled. And um, boy, isn't that bold? That is bold. Well, here's a little something. 
here's a little something that's, I guess, on the up, on the up and up. This is from uh, HITC.com. I saw this story. This was actually passed along to me. And then I went and digging a little bit more. You'll see why. The headline, how much is one million pennies worth? A family finds copper coins in a basement. So this family in, I think, California, in Los Angeles, they were clearing out a home in Los Angeles and they found one million pennies. And this was covered, I think, by ABC or something like that. And I, I, I asked the question, I guess that everybody else was asking, is not how much um, a million pennies is worth in the eyes of, you know, the, the United States Treasury. But what does it, what is it worth in the eyes of a, uh, you know, a pawn shop that is, that is looking to give you the melt value of the copper and... Was the copper in these pennies? Were these pennies pre-zinc pennies? Because if they were, and they are, that's the interesting thing. You'll see. A family has found one million pennies while clearing out a home in Los Angeles, and here's how much the stash is worth. John Reyes was helping his wife clean out their late father Fritz's homes home when he found some loose pennies in the ch- in the basement. The ex-realtor kept looking and found dozens of paper bank bags containing around a million copper pennies in a crawl space. Their story has gone viral on social media and they could be sitting on a gold mine. Well, not necessarily, but still, it's a lot. Now, if you go and you do the division, one million pennies divided by 100 is 10,000. So even if you took that to your coin star, your local coin star, though you'll get ripped off by for like 10% or more, you're getting $10,000. But these aren't ordinary pennies. They are, these are made from copper, which means they could be worth a lot more. The U.S. Mint used to make pennies out of pure copper, but this changed in 1943 when they began using zinc-covered steel instead. This is because copper was needed during World War II, and then by 1982, American pennies were made primarily out of zinc. They've stripped all the value out of every aspect of our money. As copper pennies are now so rare, they hold great historic value in our collector's items. This means that they are worth far more than their face value. Reyes put the coins at resale website offer up for $30,000, three times their value, but hasn't found anyone willing to take, or 30,000, three times, but hasn't found anyone willing to take them out yet. You see all these stories of people finding pennies worth $2 million. It only takes one rare coin to change everything, and they had ample opportunity to get lucky. So they can't get rid of the copper pennies. I would say, I don't know. I mean, there's got to be a place. A, it's all profit. So there's got to be a place you can bring them to. Um, And if if anything else, couldn't you go to a bank? What is the deal with that? Let's see, coming across a million copper pennies sounds like a dream. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's just interesting. But the reality is that they're actually quite a nuisance. The family are struggling to get rid of the money, and even banks don't want to take them as they don't have enough space. Okay. Don't even have room in my vault, a Wells Fargo bank manager told him on the phone. Don't bring them here. They don't want to take them to the Coinstar either because they take 8% out told you i didn't read this far in the the article uh transporting the coins took days how much how much does it weigh a a, a million pennies literally bag by bag we have to take them out of the basement up the stairs and into the trucks it took hours 
Took a whole day just to get them out of the crawl space. Probably took decades to save it all. The father. The father. So, if anybody needs any pennies, get in touch with these people. And one last thing, because I thought this was pretty cool. A baseball fan ran across the field at Oakland Coliseum during a game between the Athletics and the Tampa Bay Rays. He has all of his clothes on. And I just wanted to show this, because not because it's anything special, but he almost makes it across. Streaking across right field into center. Now he's in left center. And he, he goes right past the security guard. And up, grab, get through, go! Oh, he almost made it. He almost made it. The child that was working security. How, what the hell is that? That person is like four foot eleven. The child that was working security pulled him down from the wall. The the people on the other side should have helped him up. That would have been wonderful. But the reason why I say this is might as well. The A's are packing up and they are moving their entire operation out of Oakland and into Las Vegas soon. So last chance to streak. Who cares if you get banned from the Coliseum? Just <laughs> why not? I would be I would be tempted. Personally, I would be tempted. I don't know what other kind of charges they would they would levy against you, but I would be tempted if I were in Oakland and they were they were taking our team away after so many decades. And how many people in Oakland are going to make the trip to go see the A's in Vegas every year? I mean, it's not as far as me going to see the A's in Vegas, but still, I have to imagine that this is a lot of people's last games. Anyway, that's it. That's it. Let's get this one started. We've got John Doyle joining us in a little bit. I still have to set the table uh, for a few minutes. So don't go anywhere. Encore, 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 s'il te plaît, encore. That's magnifique. 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 You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride!
So, I'm uh, the first thing I want to do, welcome, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, it's good to have you on. And, and here's a few things I want to ask you all to please help me with. Tonight, I would love to have your help again in sharing this show, the live links, getting him on out there. Uh, if uh, The best way to support the show it, while the show is on is not only the Super Chats, at quite frankly, superchat.com or the Rumble Rants and everything else to add good interaction value to the show, but also to keep the lights on, but to also tweet out all the live links while we're live. And if we're not live, then share it off air too. People always can watch it on demand, but uh, I would love to be able to meet a few of your friends, a few of your family tonight and rope them in, rope them in, make them lifers. So, um, Thank you all for the help, and let's get underway. This is the first thing I wanted to read onto the record because it's going to offer up a little bit more of a platform for people to talk later on with their own thoughts and experiences with child protective services. This is going on in California. Uh, Obviously, it's not surprising, but it is still heartbreaking. A proposed amendment to a California bill would brand parents who refuse to affirm their own child's gender as abusive. Affirm their own child's declared gender, I should say. And if they don't affirm it, then it is abusive, and it could result in loss of custody, among other things. Proposed by Democratic Assembly member Lori Wilson and State Senator Scott Weiner, who has a long history of sexual deviancy and trying to codify sexual deviancy. He's also the guy that was behind the, um, the, 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 the uh, whatchamacall, the legislation that makes it a misdemeanor to knowingly conceal any kind of HIV diagnosis from a sexual partner. Uh, Scott Weiner, who last year suggested offering Drag Queen 101 as part of K through 12 curriculum. He's a real, he's a real uh real he's a real one introduced a bill that grants judici- judiciary leniency to certain pedophiles and who accused was accused of a hate crime hoax ab957 amends the state family code addressing the health safety and welfare of the child in every household as the daily mail notes if passed the law could result in children being removed from their parents home if the family members are deemed anti lgbtq+ the bill was originally passed on Weimar, Germany. Oh, man. Oh, man. This is everywhere that they wanted to go and more. And more. The bill was originally passed in May, th- uh, May 3rd, but it was amended June 3rd by Wiener, where it will need to be, uh, it'll pass again with revisions. Under the code, courts would be given complete authority to remove children from their homes if their parents refuse to affirm their declared gender. It would also require schools, churches, and other organizations to follow suit or face repercussions for impacting the health, safety, and welfare of a child. Now, uh, remember, these are the same people who think that you should be arrested if you stand outside of an abortion clinic and try to talk to people about what actually is growing inside of them the life inside of them and what how abortion what abortion really does okay that it isn't an affirmation of personal power that it is the deliberate extinguishing of life and uh, and they will arrest you for what are, are, are do they is is it for the impacting the health and safety and welfare of a child no in that case you were trying to allow one to be born see everything is about how can you 
stand in people's way to prevent the debasing of society or even one child? And how, how can you promote it as well at the same time? How can you promote the debasing of a, of a culture and also prevent people from uh, having a good conscience take over and try to uh, thwart it in some way? Individuals and organizations who refuse to or do not acknowledge a child's gender identity could potentially face abuse charges. This is what they're doing in, um, in California. So we're going to be talking a little bit about CPS later. I'd love to hear what John Doyle has to say about, his, uh, about CPS, what he thinks about it as an organization. Um, and then you have this one. RFK Jr. goes where few tread. Vindicates the Alex Jones gay frogs conspiracy theory. It's not his theory. But um, I guess it is now. The weaponization of the medical system, public schools, and judicial system, etc., in order to push transgender ideology are well documented and important. This is from PJ Media. What receives tragically too little attention is the chemical warfare component of the agenda waged in silence. The usual suspects who post the outrageous video of the day showing what public school teachers are doing to America's children during Pride Month don't usually go near this issue because it's complex and because it's not as salacious in terms of generating outrage and clicks, but perhaps it's more important. And here is RFK discussing this a little bit um, about what is going on in the water and how it might be, con- uh, how it might be contributing to gender confusion and any other things that we're seeing expressed more, um, more and more, especially in the youngest generations, and Gen Z, which now declares itself to be one fifth uh, gay, gender confused, like whatever the whatever the mix is, one fifth. Take a listen to this, and then we'll go and uh, check up on our guests of the evening. Probably underappreciated um, that. Uh, how much of that is coming from chemical exposures, including a lot of the sexual dysphoria that we're seeing, that, you know, that these kids are being overwhelmed by a tsunami. I mean, they're swimming through a soup of toxic chemicals today, and many of those are endocrine disruptors. Um, there's atrazine throughout our water supply. Atrazine, by the way, if you, in a lab, put atrazine in, in a... In a, a a tank full of frogs, it will chemically castrate and force, forcibly uh, uh, feminize every frog in there. And 10% of the frogs, the male frogs, will uh, will turn into fully viable females able to produce viable eggs. And if you if if if, if it's doing that to frogs. It could. It, there's a lot of other evidence that it's doing it to human beings as well. Now they wish that they can become fully functional women with eggs and all that stuff, but that ain't gonna happen. Uh, it's still changing people uh, in a a really serious way. There's no doubt about that. Society's being changed. Individuals are being changed, and um, RFK. Uh, there's there's something to, to chew on there, and we're going to talk about this in, in just a second with our our guest of honor who's here with us for the first time since May of 2019. It feels a lot longer, but John Doyle, welcome back to the show. How you doing, man? I'm doing excellent. I'm very excited to be back here, actually. I think this was uh, the first appearance I ever did in my, my journey in politics. W- was this the first show you've ever been on? I think it was actually, yeah. I got started in October, and then we were on what did you say, February? I think it was May of 2000. Well, that's the last one I have. You you might have been on twice, 
Um, okay. I, I don't know, but May of 2019, that was the last time. And I know it was early on, and uh, but it feels a lot longer. But four years is four years. How the hell you been? I've, I've been doing very well. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. I've been fortunate to, to grow and expand the operation. So, yeah, I'm very excited to be back here. Are, are you done with college? I dropped. I never. <laughs> okay. I never, yeah, I guess I've been done uh, for a while. Uh, I dropped out. I was going to ask about that because I didn't know if for sure if you would go, especially with everything that you know and everything that you, you, you focus on. And obviously self-education is so much more important than anything these days. Because um, the, the next question I was going to ask you is how easy was it to go unnoticed on a college campus if you were going to college? So, yeah, that answers my question there. Yeah, I uh, back. So I was taking classes, and then I think I dropped out maybe about six months into the uh, political stuff. But I never got recognized on a campus until I started doing like speaking events on campuses, and then I would have protests organized against me. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. But yeah, I never dealt with anything like that. Well, your man on the street stuff. I mean, heck off, commie. All of your your breakdowns of not only the culture but the history dives. Those are those have been fantastic. But you're also one of the calmest man-on-the-street type of personalities. And I have to imagine after a while, you can't do it as much because people see it coming. But um, yeah. but damn, man, I'll tell you, I've watched so many of your, your videos over the last few years, especially at the women's marches. And I... I just can't, you have to have a certain kind of mental and emotional makeup for something like that because the bubbling I feel inside of my chest, I almost want to just, just explode sometimes for the kind of stupidity that you face off with and you're just so calm, cool as a cucumber. I don't know how you yeah. do it. I, uh, I try to have fun with it. You know, I, if I'm talking to somebody and I can tell that they are trying to engage in good faith and be intelligent, I'll try to match that. But as I've sort of done this more, I, uh, I don't have the patience for it in the sense that if they are acting a certain way, I will, like, match that energy and try to troll them. Or I think even at the, at the Women's March back in January, there was this young woman who we were speaking to who was, like, particularly atrocious. And I think by the end of the conversation, I literally told her, I was like, you need to go away. You're like a bitch. I hate you. Like, you're just an insufferable person. Um, but usually, and that's the thing, too. People watch that stuff, and maybe they learn a thing or two. Maybe they like the back and forth. But it's really just, you know, you enjoy the ride. It's fun. I can usually, like, get a laugh out of everybody, even, like, the most vicious feminists. Um, they tend to enjoy it or at least find it a little bit endearing. Maybe they just like the male attention. I think that's what it is. I, I really think that's what it is. Deep down inside, you know that there's 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 some some uh, male figure that, that has failed them somewhere yeah. along the way. And and, uh, and maybe this is just that, that, that itch that they've, they needed to have scratched the entire time. Maybe they wouldn't have turned out that way if they had a little, you know, you know uh, positive roughhousing at home when they were younger. That's, that's definitely true, yeah. You know, what do you think? Let me ask you this before we get into other current event stuff. Um, I love the uh, the beauty and the beast breakdown. I know that you cover feminism and all of the the originating you know cultural toxin points of these uh, these movements. But do you believe that the right wing does the right wing have a feminism problem as well? And if so, how do you believe it differs from the left, if at all? Oh, we absolutely do. I mean, 
you know, and I, I refer to this on my channel as like internalized feminism or internalized liberalism, which is this idea that even if we are nominally against things like liberalism or feminism, we still retain a lot of attitudes that prevent us from being as effective as we should be or as we could be. Uh, that are, you know, fundamentally liberal or feminist ideas. And so, if, like, for example, feminism, everything that you see that flows downstream of that, maybe that you find really annoying, maybe that you wish wasn't a part of society, all of that stems from the idea that men and women are equal. Not that they should be treated with equal dignity, but that they are equal except for, you know, some uh, arbitrary physical characteristics. Maybe men have penises, maybe they're a little bit stronger. But other than that, like, what is inside of us is all identical. Therefore, any difference in outcome is because of patriarchy or oppression or things like that. And there are a lot of people on the right who actually believe that, especially women. And so we have a lot of women who are in positions of power in right-wing politics, which, you know, I'm not necessarily a purist in the sense that, like, you know, I want to get every woman out of right-wing politics. But the problem is, is you can kind of understand where the smoking gun is, because women are more susceptible to emotionally manipulative propaganda than men are, just by their nature. It's not controversial. It's just true. And so you start to see how the Republican Party has shifted so far left on social attitudes. And you look at who's staffing the party, and it's the people who in the population are the most likely to be susceptible and vulnerable to emotional propaganda, which are effeminate men and women. And you look at the Republican Party, and you've got women and homosexuals in key positions, and you're like, oh, that's why that's happening. So um, it is definitely a problem, which isn't to say that we need to, like, kick all women out of the movement, because frankly— especially at the state level, women tend to be more of a force than men. So a lot of younger guys who, you know, want to be edgy, they'll be like, oh, women shouldn't be involved in politics. If you go to, like, the Texas state capitol, for example, all of the people there who are holding our representatives accountable are the moms, are these women yeah. in red shirts. And, you know, if you want women out of politics, that's fine, but then you have to fill that vacuum. And so for a lot of guys, they just want to complain about it, but then they don't want to step up to the plate. And it's like, okay, well, you kind of understand why they're there in the first place. Because yep. men were weak and, you know, stood back and allowed them to occupy these positions in the first place. Uh, I'm uh, man. Uh, well, we're on the same page with that one because I, I was th that the whole uh, the cringe girl boss trope is all over the place in the United States. It covers the gamut, uh, the the whole spectrum there. And I can't. But the but the problem is I can't be surprised. And many of them are doing great work. And thank God for many of them at this point. Um, but I can't be surprised by it when the natural when any kind of natural expression or natural expressions of masculinity have been so vilified and tamped down wet blanket over everything they wanted they would just like you said to just to equalize things not to make it so uh i don't know I don't, maybe retrograde whatever the hell they're looking at there but someone needs to step up when you got when yeah. you have when you have pretty much conditioned a vast amount of men to slink back into the background be the beasts of burden and just kind of you know not get in the way of anything and ruffle any feathers there are vacuums that tend to be filled and usually uh the people that go and fill them is just whoever will and sometimes they're noble and other times they are weasels and um it's it's a lot harder to it's a lot harder to to really maintain the a high standard there but i understand what you're saying and i'm glad you answered it that way I was feeling the same way. Um, so yesterday, big day. What do you think about the latest attempt on essentially Trump's life? Because they want to put him in jail for life, and uh, that's that's a that's a thing there. But what do you think about that and his subsequent remarks afterwards? Um, yeah, I, I, of course, I think it's nonsense. I think it's ridiculous. I think it's a disgrace. I think his remarks following were pretty on point. Um, and this is sort of the problem that we're experiencing on the right, which is that 
the reason they're going after Trump is obviously because they view him as a threat to the sort of established political order that we have. And we have a significant coalition on the right who is saying, well, Trump has too much baggage. We need to go with somebody who's less problematic, somebody like Ron DeSantis, somebody who can actually win the general election is what they say. The thing is, though, baggage properly understood just means how much the public perception has been tainted against this person, which is because of how the establishment views them in terms of the degree to which they actually pose a threat. So Donald Trump, for example, has been in the public eye for decades, I mean, in various capacities. And the most they've been able to come up with against this guy is maybe he got a little creative with his taxes. Uh, he, you know, participated in the locker room talk with the Access Hollywood tape. Um, but other than that, I mean, there's really not like anything really damning what it is is they always have him, whether it's like the Russia scandal, the Ukraine scandal, the taxes, the attorney general in Manhattan. If people are hearing, whether they're at the airport or the gym or they turn on the news, NPR, all the time, Donald Trump this, Donald Trump that, whether or not they know how you know valid the attacks are, the persecution is, they just hear that, you know, oh, this Trump guy seems to always be wrapped up in some kind of scandal. Yeah. And so they believe that he's fundamentally like a problematic figure. And so they can create that with anybody. I mean, if Ron DeSantis were this real Leviathan who was going to lay siege to the system, they could do the same thing with him. There's nothing stopping that because they control all of the opinion curating institutions in the country. So anybody who is actually going to pose a threat to our political system, there's never going to be a way to get around it. They are going to be slandered and persecuted. And so it's a tough position because on the one hand, I don't see anybody right now who could carry the torch that Donald Trump has lit. Uh, and so we're in a position where it's like, okay, well, who do we support? Do we support Trump because he is that threat? But what if he can't win the election? I mean, and the same thing, too. The people who are talking about whether Trump is viable in the general election are the same people who don't want to talk about what went on in the 2020 election because they think, well, this is off-putting to independents. And it's like independent voters as a category don't exist because, oh, the right and the left are just so far apart. The average person just doesn't know where to look. It's because they're actually so similar because the average person in this country is looking and it's like, look, everything that I actually care about, mass immigration, jobs, manufacturing, trade policy, foreign policy, I don't understand why we're involved in the Middle East. I don't understand why we're sending all this money to Ukraine. Anything that actually matters, the parties are identical, and they've been that way for 40 years. And the little, okay, the culture war stuff, maybe there's some divide, tax policy, federalism, maybe there's some divide. But in terms of, like, where money is flowing, where human lives are flowing, it pretty much stays the same. And so I think that's why the whole category of independent exists in the first place. And Donald Trump uniquely was the man who single-handedly realigned the party to reflect the interests of its voters. I mean, you couldn't talk about immigration the way that Trump talks about it before Donald Trump. Same thing with your, our involvement in the Middle East, our involvement in these wars. And so we're taking for granted right now this momentum and this turnout because of Donald Trump and when Trump goes away the idea that that's going to channel for someone who's basically like uh, you know a Mitt Romney caliber candidate it's just like ridiculous so I think that we're in for a very sober awakening either way oh yeah and, and it's definitely a full court full court press here I when I was looking at the the media response which has been funny uh, you know you got to find some fun in something these days but I just noticed this lower third that PBS PBS NewsHours put up put a lower third on his response last night as he took to the stage um, and and the lower third said this I'm going to put it up on the screen for people to see it uh, and let me get both of us out of the way there you go it says here here's the context there's a context label at the bottom of the screen experts warn that inflammatory rhetoric from elected officials or people in power can prompt individual actors to commit acts of violence. 
That is the context label they put on the screen as he's responding to all of this nonsense. I, before I brought you on, I played a little bit of, uh, of Rachel Maddow from last night talking about we're not going to play his stuff because we cannot pay the price. We cannot pay the price of, of putting anything out on the television that is not going to be truthful. I mean, it is uh, the psychological warfare, the psychological games are... I'm glad that they're doing so so poorly with them because uh, it, it makes everything into a joke, and at least it's not as as frustrating as it used to be because when it's subtle, it's almost like an itch you can't scratch, but at least I can laugh at them with the uh, the, the level of desperation now. Yeah, I do think there is, a, there is a point of optimism there just because of how desperate their actions are becoming. I mean, I think they really do believe what they're saying when they talk about around the corner lurks this fascist uprising. I think they understand that they are incapable of sustaining an empire of this size and they are trying to i think double down on forms of what's called uh, soft power in terms of like the propaganda conditioning and things like that because they're really trying to like beat the average american into humiliation with the pride stuff with the you know various things like that uh just to sort of like demoralize you so you don't actually care what happens to your country because they've taken everything cool away in the first place whether it's your culture your statues or whatever um but i think that they understand that eventually this is going to come to a halt eventually you know state governments are going to balkanize eventually uh there's going to be some sort of maybe foreign power eclipsing us but whatever's going on right now uh is going to come to a crashing halt eventually which is probably not going to be good for americans i'm not saying that in a way that is uh like, you know, finally, you know, the, the empire was defeated and we live happily ever after. It's probably going to get very bad, but you can at least rest assured that your grandchildren might not have to deal with things that are so gay. I know. I, know. <laughs> I think about that all the time. But, you know, I know that there's another thing that you did about, about two years ago or so. Um, you, you put out a video about why you are optimistic about the future. Now, as a, uh, you know, two, about two years ago in change is when my, my, my daughter was born. And that is when my optimism was, was reinforced. At that point, it's mandatory optimism because what kind of seeds are being laid and where are we going to uh, lay down roots and what's the the plan for for the family and there's got to be something out there to be happy about because life has got to be lived one way or another you know these people are going to scheme and whatever but since then of course you know a lot has happened for since two and a half years ago whenever you put that video out do you still remain a um a a wistfully optimistic person um yeah that, that's actually a good question i'm definitely not optimistic in the way that i used to be um, I'm more, I think, sober-minded in the sense that I've just read a lot more about history. And so, you know, I, I referred to this actually recently in a conversation as sort of like uh, what I imagine it's like getting your period, <laughs> where you sort of understand that like, okay, we're in our cycle of collapse. There's probably not a way to reverse it, but this is just what happens. I mean, empires get too big. They get too prideful. They become ridiculous. Eventually, we're just going to collapse, and something's going to be have, or have to be built from the ashes. Um, and so that's kind of the way I view it, understanding that, like, I'm probably not going to get to see the fruits of my labor. This is probably going to be something I'm involved in for the rest of my life with very little positive outcome. Uh, but hopefully my children, my children's children, can start to see some sort of turnaround there. Um, but it's definitely, and so I'll say this on your stream, but if I'm on my channel, I feel an obligation to, you know, rally the troops. Hey, we're all going to be okay. Things like that. Yeah, yeah. Because, fuck fuck, you know, fuck my audience. They can go to hell. Exactly. Yeah, I'll be more honest. Hey, well, let's be honest. We're kind of down. <laughs> but uh, I, I view myself as kind of like the toy maker, you know, like a lot of, you know, content creators or broadcasters, they try to 
uh, you know, get their audience to, and almost, I think sometimes maliciously, like get this false sense of hope where, hey, it's going to be okay. Keep watching me. Look at this crazy liberal. Everything's going to be fine. I view myself as like, I'm trying to take some guy, some young guy, pick him up and wind him and just set him off in the right direction. And then this is the guy who's going to go and he's going to, you know, infiltrate the system. He's going to go work for a congressman. He's going to go do something. And if I can get thousands of young guys out of their libertarian phase, out of their liberal phase, whatever it is, and I have done that, then that's like my butterfly effect. That's my legacy. I uh, I don't pretend to like have all the answers. I don't pretend that I'm going to like take on the political system as a 20-something-year-old. But if I can be the toy maker and I can set enough people in the right direction, that's all it takes. I mean, you know, no elite force that's in power is ever going to be taken out by anything other than some other comparably organized elite force so that's what i'm trying to do is facilitate in whatever capacity i can some sort of like hyper focused intelligent elite group of guys who are right on the issues who are smart capable and most importantly focused um and i have i think done a pretty good service in uh curating that in my in my years involved in uh online content creation well it's only it's only starting man and it's not even online content creation it's just new media you know i when i look at this when I look at this show right here, quite frankly, that's that's always just been my in my mind uh, for since 2010 when I started this show, and for the four years before that that I was doing my uh, the Progenitor show. That was a little bit more, you know, uh, celebrity hijinks and shock jockey and all that stuff. Uh, it, it's really all just about hey, I, I I don't know how I would be able to break into traditional talk radio on my own and terrestrial radio has been completely you you can't how do you break into that but there's something new brewing right now this is just what it is and and i think that it's uh we, we are laying a cornerstone down for a new type of culture because the old culture war has been lost they're like we're losing the culture war no it's been lost we have to start something new. We have to till the earth, and we have to start something new. And and what you're doing definitely helps, because I know on my end of things, it's happening a lot. There have been people in my audience that have gotten in touch with me that said, hey, I have run for certain types of offices in my, my town. I have won in my county. I have won. Um, there are a lot of people who got, get in touch with me just with basic conversion stories, uh, atheists, agnostics who are finding faith again. Um, these are the things that really um, complete people's lives that need to be lived, whether or not we are in the dark ages or whether we're in some kind of a golden age. People's li- if we're, we're not living this life right now, then what the hell was it all for? So I, I, no matter what, that is always localized action and focus has to be the big focus. Everything else is a, it could be a fun distraction as far as how we engage in the the soap opera that is federal politics but 98 percent of the federal government is illegitimate so what are we talking about here and um and that's what we have so yeah i I think i think you're definitely on the right track with that um what the hell is i gonna say here oh now i know you're trump all the way but what do you think about rfk talking about the environmental toxins the pharmaceutical impact uh, on natural human development because this is definitely expressing itself in huge ways in your generation I know yep. that there was there's studies now that says one out of five Gen Z is saying that they are somewhere on the gender confused uh, sexuality spectrum and all that stuff it's no doubt nurture over nature and uh, it, so what do you think about statements like that I think it's uh, it's pretty bold 
Yeah, I, I love to see it. I hope that uh, he's the Democrat nominee or at least poses some sort of significant threat, even if just to sort of realign the Democrat Party, which, you know, I don't believe that they're necessarily um, obliged to follow the will of their voters. I think that they and their media apparatuses sort of collude to decide what their voters are going to believe. But I mean, he's still polling pretty well um, in everything I've seen. And I think that Americans will say that they don't love political dynasties. Yes, we do. We absolutely do. That name, Kennedy, is definitely going to appeal to a significant portion of the country. And if he's out there talking about vaccines, talking about hormones in the water, plastics in the water, this is like objectively a good thing because this is like real. I mean, leftism is biological. There's a reason that these people all look the same. There's a reason that all the Antifa mugshots look the same. You have people whose hormone cycles have been artificially disrupted. They don't develop properly physically. They don't develop properly psychologically. And it literally makes them gay. It makes them homosexual. It makes them transsexual. They've never found an official gay gene, despite like tens of millions of dollars in funding, decades of research. But there are some biological factors that can make you more likely to manifest sexually deviant behaviors, namely your hormones, whether that's your prenatal hormones or, you know, you're exposed to more estrogens in your water supply. There's residual birth control in the water supply, things like that. It'll make you more feminine, which can make you like more likely to become transsexual or homosexual, things like that, which, yeah, it's actually a problem for you know our young generation to basically be pursuing these types of behaviors and identities um, especially because they're already so starved for a normal identity in the first place so talking about that and that doesn't even get into the things like the mass shooters um, the the isolation issues that are being faced by the younger generations a lot of that is because physiologically speaking we are sick we are a sick people I mean my generation in particular I don't even say this to be like a pick me but I think like 40-something percent of us are overweight or obese. Well, definitely more than overweight. I think just obese. Uh, like you mentioned, like a fifth of us are openly professed sexual deviants. Like we're a very sick and disgusting generation. And, you know, his uncle, uh, JFK, he knew that like in order to have a healthy nation, you have to have like a healthy young population. I mean, that's your future. That's the most important capital for a nation. It's next generations. And ours are like disgusting and gay so yeah i'm very happy to see him talking about those issues and i hope that they they catch fire jeez well i mean you know i i look at this i and, and when i look at i mean the, the things that for me it's easy for me to conceive of what we're looking at in an environmental sense a uh, lot of processed food a uh, lot of medicated water dozens of shots um, and then to layer in the 24-7 trauma programming between school and media and whatever, the cyclical behaviors that of at least three generations of parents have learned from, from their teachers who have all been in, indoctrinated as well. Then comes after that the pediatrics, the pediatricians, the psychologists. They come in, they mediate again when medi with medication, with, with, when there ever is a uh, social anxiety that has been established then or some kind of gender confusion starts to blossom. So I start looking at this and it's part of the rat's nest of, of real issues. And um, it's the first time I looked, I, I've been now I, in my mind's eye, I have all of the mugshots of the Antifa people and I'm looking at them in biological ways. I was like, yeah, what is this? You know, they all look very, uh, you know, pale and, uh, and, and uh, it, obviously they look like they're on drugs. They look unhappy. They look like they've yeah. had a really rough, you know, 25 years. But to look at it from a biological standpoint, I've never actually <laughs> considered that before. And uh, you're very forthright about all that. But, um, yeah, last night I was let's let's talk a little bit about just nihilism away from bi uh, biology. Last night I was talking about generational nihilism, and I focused on the baby boomers 
just for that episode because it, I believe it was a watershed generation from them being the first target of liberation-based counterculture programming. And, uh, and then also it created people like Arnold Schwarzenegger who recently declared heaven to be a fantasy and admitted that he's very uncomfortable with the idea of dying and seemingly disappearing forever and all that stuff. But um, three generations later, how do you see this kind of thinking that's been expressed in a lot of people in the in the boomer generation that was really infected by new age? I know that a lot of them maintain their faith, but like I said, this was the real first target of uh, liberation theology and all that other stuff. Three generations later, how do you see this kind of thinking playing out in Gen Z? Uh, do they, you, you have a, uh, is there, a, is the nihilism as thick as some people are saying it is? Absolutely. And, you know, on, on the baby boomers, this is another really difficult position that we're in as the right, because probably the most significant demographic in our base are baby boomers in terms of who comes out and votes for us uh, and who has money. I mean, we really need these people. And if we think it's bad now, when the baby boomer die off starts happening in the next couple of decades, we're really going to be screwed. So that's the one part. But then on the other hand, these people are the most and not all of them because I have a lot of baby boomers in my off or in my audience. I know a lot of baby boomers who like really get it. They're really good people. And I think they would even agree with this. By and large, their generation are the most spoiled group of brats that have probably ever walked the face of the earth. I mean, these people destroyed the entire country, pissed away opportunities for future generations, like the first generation in history to leave less for the future generations and then think it's like, well, it's just because I worked hard. I mean, talk about like fumbling the most like insane civilizational head start and and just thinking it's like so like i'm really i'm really glad for them actually that they got to have so much fun i mean what they had and what they and it's just like such a tragedy how they managed to like destroy the entire civilization i mean these people are still in power uh like disproportionately relative to prior generations and things like that and the way that they think that it's just because they worked hard is just such a like a gross mischaracterization of the opportunities they had versus the opportunities that my generation has had it's not saying they didn't work hard but the opportunity to work for example if you were a baby boomer and you kept your nose clean you got relatively decent grades you could get a good job and you could get a, a wife who doesn't have an OnlyFans and you could afford a house in a safe neighborhood, things like that. Nowadays, if you're in my generation, you can keep your nose clean, you can do well in school, but you're going to amass tens of thousands of dollars of debt. You're going to get maybe a good job. I don't know, but to, but to get a house in a safe neighborhood, forget about that, let alone a summer home, let alone two cars, a boat. I mean, I'm just, I'm really glad that they had so much fun. I just wish that they would acknowledge that, that maybe they kind of fumbled things before pointing the finger at like millennials and Gen Z and being like, you guys are the participation trophy generation. Who gave us the trophies? I was seven years old. Did I go pick up the trophy? No, someone had to do that. That was your idea, okay? And then the other thing too, was like the whole like, oh, the, you know, just don't spend money on avocado toast. That's how, I, do you really think that's what it is? Like it's just the $7 coffee, the avocado? No, it's because you guys had a great opportunity and you guys just, you know, went to Woodstock and smoked weed and listened to too much Led Zeppelin 4 and then the borders got opened up and then the jobs went away and so now we're here. So I love the boomers, but we need you to, to really just keep your eye on the ball uh, and, and vote for our guys and become like based and right wing before everything goes away. So that's sort of the rant on the boomer generation. I don't even remember what you asked. Well, uh, no, <laughs> I don't get see that it was just bubbling beneath the surface. I'm glad we got it to vent it out, but I, no, it, it was more so about uh, it. And I mean, it all, it all relates, but it, 
it's this this nihilism that about even just our place on this earth and what comes next right. because there was a lot of spiritual uh, ever, people were in on in that generation first and foremost and then it trickled down and it continued and only became amplified by the other generations to follow x and millennial and whatever but there was there there's just this this nihilism about where we go after this yeah and 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 all that faith now i see some good things i mean all the all the things that i have to say about my own generation millennials and the things that that could be said about gen z which there's 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 plenty of frustrating fucked up things to be said about you guys i see uh, i i also see good things i see conversions that are going on i see uh, uh countercultures of their own going on you can see it on youtube and elsewhere brotherhoods forming again uh i mean you were just on that um you were just on that 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 whatever podcast right i mean think i mean that has become such a shows like that has become such a staple it's a little bit more confrontational but i think in a necessary way to just see what has been done to the minds of of average american girls i mean how 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 the, the the programming we get in school and from other sources of you know these culture generating uh, institutions has really set us back um, and and handicapped us in our ex- expectations of relationships of lifestyle where lifestyles are generated um, you know what relationships should be and and how much you're worth just based on what uh, anything outside of sex nobody even con- contemplates anything outside of sex as if that you're always going to be uh, a uh, you know a a hot ticket item. So it's just so, um, I see a lot of good things, but I think the confrontation, the ability and the willingness to confront a, uh, a sick culture that does not give anything back to you and does not lay a good groundwork, I think that's something that is, is most inspiring going forward. If there's anything to latch on to, that's one thing I'll give you guys. Yeah, I, I agree. The one thing, and maybe this is just the pessimist in me coming out, what I've noticed about my generation is that resurgence in trying to find community and values, it tends to be much more of someone's identity nowadays. And what I mean by that is this is something that just simply used to happen. Like, you know, three generations ago, you just simply had these beliefs and values naturally. And now because we've been so starved, I've noticed the people who develop them, they almost have to do that. This isn't necessarily a bad thing, but they have to do that almost um, in a way that is more manufactured, so to speak, than just simply because it hasn't been instilled in them by their parents. And so I question the longevity of that because I worry that, you know, they, they're just kind of looking for some identity and some meaning and maybe they find it in, you know, astrology or maybe they find it in like online communities. But I, I just hope that that really stays and can grow into something more yeah. tangible. Because in a lot of people too, you know, for example, homesteading is a big thing now. And there has been a very, like, you know, interesting online community of people doing things like that for a while. And what I see now is as anything, you know, and it becomes popular, becomes more mainstream, then it starts to become like a lark. And you see, like, these people posting, and it's just like, oh, I just want to be on a farm with my goats. And it's like, now you're ruining it. Now you're making it bad. Or the same thing with, um, you know, having a compound or being, like, even a trad calf. You know, sometimes I feel like like the Clarence Thomas of Catholics sometimes, the way that like these trad cats operate online. I'm like, oh, I promise we're not all like that. But uh, they do, I think, kind of like make the authentic participation in the community look bad sometimes, which I guess is just, you know, the cycle of these things. But uh, yeah, I really hope that we can see that continue in its development and, and, and maintain something positive and not something that's just like performative or watered down. 
Yeah, well, well, you know, in that in that respect, there is always looking outside of of the norm, or the the established norms, and then trying to do something in a parallel economy. Whether that parallel economy be going into new media and investing in new media, so that you don't have to go to watch the same old uh, pr- production houses pump out the same old shit into movie theaters, or right. to just not have to turn on the television anymore. There's also there there's parallel economies all over the place. People are are providing uh, services for education, for medicine outside of, uh, outside of that. People and then homesteading off the grid, anything that could give you a little bit more feeling of independence to build a skill, no matter how small it may be, a potted plant on your back porch, something you've never done before, people are scraping and clawing for the, the, a connectedness again. And I think that is great because on the other side, anybody, uh, you know, there, there's always fights to be, to be had, the fight for children, the fight uh, in, in court, wherever the hell you can, you can wage a war for, for decency, you have to. The last thing I want to, well, one of the bigger things I want to ask before we go to some quick bonus questions is about California and CPS. Now, in the opening, I spent a little bit of time on California's latest movement to encourage genital mutilation and threaten parents who don't support a child's declared identity. It made me want to ask you your opinion on child protective services in general, because this is a big reason why a parallel economy for education, keeping kids away from these these big uh, centers, they call them schools, but obviously it is, a, it is a way to really pick a child's mind apart, to pit them against their family, and to also see how families respond to what is provocative education that is not meant to actually hand off life skills to children who are preparing for adulthood. It is prepared to hand off provocative political trash that could hopefully provide a response that they can get uh, from from a family unit and p- potentially even tear them apart quicker than than it would otherwise. So, what do you think about organizations like Child Protective Services? I generally, so this is one of the problems. Is everybody, especially on our side, knows that the government is run by like a satanic cabal of pedophiles. Like everybody, like more or less, knows that. And so when you speak about what I'm about to speak about, it, it, it raises alarms and people think like, wait a minute, he's in on it. But we have to be very careful with what we we're saying when we talk about things like, you know, sex trafficking, child sex trafficking, CPS, because what tends to happen is the people who are involved in our government don't just stop being like terrible people in those regards. So, for example, when they talk about human trafficking, there will be, you know, government organizations that are against human trafficking, things like that. And we think, ha ha, they're coming after you, Epstein. But then what it actually is, is like they're going after people who are trying to get immigrants out of the country or illegal aliens out of the country because they'll define that as like human trafficking or even things like Amber Alert, for example. You get an Amber Alert and you think that that's like some kid being kidnapped or something. Usually what that is, is it's some like, you know, lower class family having a dispute over who's watching the kid. And then one of the parents gets pissed off and like takes the kid and drives off with it. And then all of a sudden, like now you're getting a notification because they're having some dispute. So it's kind of a misallocation of resources, in my opinion. But yeah, with things like CPS, that's obviously going to be the enforcement for what they want to happen with children and things like that. And so we're in this weird position where we kind of want to believe that these organizations are going to be targeting the evil people, the bad guys, the pedophiles, but child protective services, I mean, defined by those people is going to mean they're protecting the child from its own parents. Mm -hmm. uh, If they disagree with the, the ideology and religion of the state. And so this is like something that's just particularly bad about the position we're in because 
we don't have our past. The history books are being rewritten. They're going to use AI on the paintings. We don't have our monuments anymore. Coincidentally, the good guys have won every war. We're domestic terrorists, so we don't even have our past anymore. Forget about that. We don't have our heritage. But we don't have our future either because China sucks. I'm not a fan. Russia sucks. I'm not a fan. But at least their descendants are going to get the same country. At least their descendants are going to get the same country that maybe I think is crappy, maybe they don't. But at least it's going to be more or less the same. My generation is saying goodbye. I mean, I don't even know what the old America is. The last generation to really have a taste of what the old America was would have been your generation. Oh, yeah. One foot in. I mean, especially if you're born after 9-11, like you have no concept of how good things actually used to be in this country. So you don't have any route. How can you possibly see a way forward? So we don't have a future because, you know, the way the borders have been opened up, we've had like 60 million illegal aliens or not even illegal, but we've had the largest migration of people come in the history of the world to this country from the third world just since 1965. So this country is going to be fundamentally different as the years continue just because you've changed the people in the country. And then, okay, maybe I'll have a, you know some other place. I'll get away from that. I'll get out of the cities. But even then, they're not going to leave you alone. They're going to send Child Protective Services after you because they can effectively, even in your community, if you have internet access, they can effectively drop like paratroopers into your community because now your kid's on the phone and they're learning about trans stuff and gay stuff and they're on TikTok. Maybe they're watching pornography. It literally programs them to internalize these attitudes and develop these like deviant identities. And so now not only do you not have your past or your heritage, you don't even have your future. You don't have your kids. You don't have any sort of prospects. So it's like, what, what are you supposed to do in that point? Like, what, why even continue? Why even go on if you don't have a reasonable belief that you're going to be able to anywhere in the country raise a normal family in a safe environment, which is why I, I try to kind of not gatekeep, but, you know, try to direct the conversation with, you know, the homesteading, get off the grid. I think that's good, but we can't let that be because we're trying to, participate in retreating or defeatism like we need to understand we have to stay you know a healthy society isn't one that leaves its cities i mean think about the great cities of the world they're there to basically like show off to other countries and like flex like this is what we can do a healthy society is not one that has to retreat from its cities so if we want to take our country back whatever that means eventually we're going to have to get comfortable with the idea that we're going to have to take back our cities and these these areas from like being left to strongholds because Look at Waco. Look at Ruby Ridge. Like, they're never going to leave you alone, ever. And and they have significantly more access or significant more access to your children now than they would have even 20 years ago because of things like technology. Mm. And if you're a good parent, you won't give your child access to that technology. But then it's like, I mean, I hope there's a lot of other kids in that community because they're going to have to be socialized. Because if it's just them and they're just in their house, there's no te- uh, technology, there's no anything. Maybe they've got their brothers and sisters, but you need to have a larger sort of ecosystem for your child to develop in or else they're going to be developmentally stunted. They're not going to be socialized properly. So um, there's definitely nothing harder to do right now in this country than like raise a healthy, normal family, which is completely by design. But that's the nobility in it is because it's never been more difficult than it is right now. It is. Yeah, you're right. And, um, you know, this will I don't know. You say whatever the hell that means, taking back our country. And I start thinking about. A lot of people that refuse to leave New York, let alone New York, I mean, New York City, I'm talking about. A lot of people, a lot of good people that say, no, this, I live here my whole life and I'm going to fight for it. What, and what, and, and what, do you, what does fighting mean? Again, too, where are you going to show up? What, where are you going to speak your, your mind? And uh, is there a way to take it back or to shift the culture? This is why people like Thomas Jefferson loathed the cities. I mean, farmers usually do, but, um, but this is, it, it's just so tough to even think about 
turning that around, but it's the only way. I always say, you know, people say, Frank, you got to get out of New York. I said, okay. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, I have no intention to retire in New York. Um, perhaps in a little while. I don't know how long it's going to take, but, you know, West Tennessee is looking pretty good to me. But do you think that it within, do you think it's going to take any 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 more than 20 years before uh, the, the gay flags are all over our town? And, and the, I mean, it, it just continues to happen. They vacate you from one area, you go off and you find yourself a new sandbox to play in. Then they show up and they demand that the sandbox play by their rules, and then they ruin that too. And I'm just talking about the, the, the overall progressive mindset. It's the same old thing over and over again. So the retreat, I understand. Um, homesteading and becoming independent from the system so that you aren't taken down from the undertow is very important but you can't retreat from the overall the overall fight there and of course the family is huge the family is always the thing that they take out first in uh, in any target country family faith um the cps thing of course you know it's one of those things where well i like hearing that the well-being of children are being prioritized uh, or is being prioritized and there is plenty of children in need of rescue from abusive homes, but there is also plenty of innocent families out there that are caught up in the jaws of CPS for a litany of reasons, um, it, it, because CPS has become an extension of weaponized psychiatry, which I'm sure you you know a little bit about, because that is really what has control of most of the schools these days. It's the psychologists. It's all this, these these think tanks and these people who are trying to get into the minds of children and uh, and diagnose them with one disorder or another that used to just be growing up, a little bit of anxiety, work through it. But politics, religion, I mean, um, I don't know. If you're skeptical of public schools and vaccines, if you're off the grid, they'll take your children. Uh, I mean, yeah. they'll at least lay down the path to that. So, um, and, and, you know, and like you said before, the one thing I hate about this all is they, they pervert things. They perverted the mindset of how it takes a village to raise a child. It does take a village. You know, I, you know, I get the greatest joy talking to old timers in my life about how everyone in their neighborhoods, even in places like Harlem, back in the 1930s and the 1940s, how in places like Harlem, everybody in the neighborhood used to raise each other's children. There was no isolation. How, how the, the middle of New York City could have felt like some small little town in Kentucky somewhere is, is incredible to me. But, you know, it was an extended family kind of a feeling. And there was a local church involved probably there, too. It wasn't part of some rat's nest of invasive government programs that were hell-bent on modifying human behavior. So it's, um, we, we just have to deal with the things that are lost. You said that my generation is, is the last to have experienced the, the, you know, the real, the pre-9-11 world. I have one, yeah, one foot in the old world, one foot in the new. But there's still so much I didn't even experience being born in 1985 it's it's really something else man and it, it is but we gotta we gotta have hope that we can create that for another generation one day yeah yeah i try to be very patient with uh and you know what's interesting too is because of the integration of technology and i like to use like the smartphone maybe the iphone 2007 as a good sort of benchmark you really have like micro generations now like i like the first wave zoomers like gen z maybe 1997 to like 2001 fundamentally different group of people than people born after 9 11. i mean like i i don't relate to the the younger like second wave zoomers uh nearly as well as i relate to like the first half but i feel like with millennials or gen xers you can be anyone who's in that generation is like more or less like oh yeah we had kind of the same upbringing interests you know things like that but 
in my generation, it cuts off pretty quickly. Uh, like kids that grew up with smartphones, you know, when they were in elementary school, they turned out so much differently than people who were born, you know, within a couple of years of myself. Like, and this is another thing. I feel like I did at least have a, a, a good, like maybe sufficient taste of that old America. Like I can remember biking around. I had like total freedom, didn't have to worry about getting picked up. Not that like that even happens, but people now, because I don't know if it's just general decline in social trust, Maybe people love like the serial killer stuff, but they don't let their kids just go off the way they used to. Um, I could see, you know, clusters of bikes, you know, at different people's houses, but now I drive around, I don't see that anymore. And so there are people, you know, they're raising kids, they're doing a great job, but simply because everyone else is doing such a bad job, their kid is now experiencing like a less fulfilling childhood because of that. And and that sucks. And yeah. I don't know what the answer to that is other than just simply correct the behavior. And so what I think is probably going to happen when my generation starts becoming parents is you're going to see that same sort of like micro generation, but it's going to be not divided by, you know, okay, this group of kids grew up without smartphones. This group of kids grew up with smartphones. It's going to be the parents who are bad, lazy parents who just give their kids iPads, give them smartphones, whatever. And then parents who recognize that are like, no, we're not giving you access to technology until you're in high school, until something like that. I mean, yeah, you know, you have to do a school assignments. You need like a, like a, what is it? A Motorola Razor phone. That's one thing. But in terms of like being glued to the screen at all times, we're not going to do that. And you're going to see significant differences in those two groups of kids in terms of social development, cognitive development, uh, you know, discipline, things like that. It's going to, it's going to be like black and white, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You, man, you, you really got me with the, with the, uh, the, the parked pile of bicycles there. I remember yeah. I was in, I was in a park. We were, we were, uh, me and, and a, a buddy of mine, we were working out a couple of, I don't know when the hell what this was. This must've been somewhere around 2015, 16. And, you know, the, usually this park was just like there's just desolate, and every once in a while, you know, there'd be somebody walking around and stuff like that. But all of a sudden, there was there was like fifty or so children coming from all all angles, and we're like, what what is this like a school trip or something? We're looking at them like, what the hell's off here? And they're all looking at their phones, and it was the week that they launched Pokemon Go, and yeah, I, and I said, oh no, I and I, and I, said, I dude, I read about this. They're looking for Pokemon. They, they finally, while well, you see all these, th this is in the middle of July or something like that, uh, John, they are pale. They, this, this is the first time that sunlight has, has splashed upon their skin. And it's the yep. first time they're out of the house and they're looking at this beautiful park, this beautifully manicured park through a six inch screen of their phone looking for invisible animals. And I said, this is so fucked up. Yeah. This is so fun to see them all outside for this reason. Yeah, and there's just, like, so many fun things that can't... I mean, I have a lot of fun memories, like, playing games online with my friends. Uh, I had a blast doing that. But in terms of, like, the stories that I'm going to, like, tell my son, they all involve being outside and, like, messing with other groups of guys. Like, I remember we were about, like, 11 or 12, and there were these high schoolers playing basketball in a driveway. And we were on our bikes, and we were going to take a can of Coke and I dared this one buddy of mine to drive or bike by and throw the Coke can at this older guy that he knew. Uh, his name was Cameron. And then he was going to, like, hit him with the Coke can. We were going to drive off on our bikes. And what ended up happening is he, I guess, didn't understand the instructions as I provided them. So we're biking by, and we get a head start. He stops his bike so he can get a good, like, sort of, I guess, grounding, throws the can, misses, and then tries to get back on the bike and like get momentum going because you know when you start riding a bike you have to like stand up and try to go 
can't get going fast enough and he got his ass kicked and like that was hilarious <laughs> but like things like that just don't happen anymore because oh you know we're gonna call the police and that's like an assault charge and it's like no come on come on just kick I my just, ass just please yeah like just just let it it's not mom it wasn't me it was the other people that got uh that got assaulted it's fine it's fine oh the, the, yeah those are the those are the uh i i i know what you're talking about there you know nobody I, we don't even see anybody on halloween anymore uh, yeah. Thankfully, thankfully, the, a lot of the mischief stuff uh, is is gone. But you know, nothing is in good uh, good faith. There's just like so much. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of I don't know, just bad juju out there. Now I got a couple of bonus questions. We can go uh, quick with these. The first one is this: What historical figure, living or dead, from any era, would you love to see on Twitter? Oh, that is a great question. Um, hmm. I mean, I guess the obvious one would be Trump right now, but if I had to, like, bring back somebody like, ah, uh, shoot. Maybe Hitler, honestly. <laughs> I feel like that'd be interesting. What, oh, what, oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people are wondering, what would he do on Twitter? Huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, imagine a... Adolf Hitler doing a Twitter space. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah, with Elon Musk. Elon Musk. Do you think Elon Musk would interview him? No, he wouldn't let Alex Jones back on. So yeah, he's, yeah. he's not well, going to bring on Hitler. Uh, who else would be good? Maybe one of the founding fathers. I would like to see, like, uh, maybe, like, an Alexander Hamilton on Twitter. That would be interesting. I would like to see a, a Washington. I would love to. I would, I would see a Washington. I'd listen to a Jefferson. Uh, I'd listen to a James K. Polk. But, you know, the mm. other thing there, too, I would listen. I would love Mark Twain. Uh, Mark Twain would be, I think he would be fantastic on Twitter. Yeah. E either him or Charlemagne. Yeah, yeah the, actually, you know who, uh, who would be good? I think Arthur, uh, what's his name? Arthur Schopenhauer, the, uh, the philosopher who was famous for his, uh, sexist takes against women. I would love to see that integrated with the way that women behave on social media right now. I think that would be, uh, pristine content. Oh, th talk about throwing chum in the water. That'd be yeah. incredible. <laughs> All right, here's another bonus question for you. Do you think that Ted Kaczynski is in heaven or in hell? Shoot. Well, I think um, if I'm correct, he became he converted to Christianity. Is that is that true? I don't know. I don't know. Um, hold on, I'm gonna look that up. Ted K. Christian. Um, because if he was repentant, I, I believe that he's probably in heaven or maybe in purgatory. Um, yeah, I think he converted to Catholicism, so I, I would guess that uh, if he did so, I mean, he's a smart guy, so I would imagine he's in heaven, or in purgatory at least. Now, if it weren't for the deaths that resulted in his bombing, I th do you th what would you say about uh, the, his manifesto as far as uh, ranking on the importance of literary pieces and social commentary of all time? I think it's incredibly profound, um, especially his, you know, I don't love a lot of the critiques of technology. I understand them. I understand a lot of the anxiety. I really don't love his prescription, um, which I think is like in the second half of his manifesto. It doesn't really, like, I think the first half, he's just like nailing it. And then in terms of like how we go about fixing it, he loses me. Um, but if if there's one thing I think people need to take away from his writing, I think it's definitely his diagnosis of leftism. What yeah. actually is the driving force behind that, which he articulates as a mixture of over-socialization and insecurity. Uh, it's absolutely correct. Nobody has ever uh, put it so concisely and accurately. Um, so I think you definitely, if you consider yourself on the right, have to have to read the manifesto. But even honestly, and this is going to be controversial, the whole like, you know, killing people thing, obviously I don't support violence or murder or anything like that, but I'm so annoyed by 
people's inability to just like talk about this guy's work without having to be like he killed people that was wrong like can we grow up like yes obviously no one's out here like supporting that but the fact that people feel like compelled to have to just come out and be like i don't like this guy because he killed people it's like okay it's like the trump thing it's like oh i'm hearing this for the first time wow okay thank you for pointing that out yeah murder's bad great well you know i i said the same thing when we were talking about the latest um the latest kanye west spectacle in the media last year when when he was going you know we had, we had the black hoodie on he's going on Infowars and he's talking about nazis and all that stuff and he's trying to and uh, i mean he's He's making some statements that would be very hard for anybody to shout out in public and and uh, and be able to have a nuanced conversation about. But you know, I, I didn't make the comment that to talk. I don't know why we as a nation, when you think about our culture right now, uh, what we do with the unborn, what we do uh, with censorship, the, the the way our political discourse has devolved into just satanic drivel. Um, why everybody is always up in arms when somebody wants to discuss what was going on from the end of Weimar Germany into the late 30s, early 40s with any kind of objectivity about, hey, okay, we understand, we understand some, we understand about the people at the top, we understand what was going on, and we understand about the conclusions of the war and the death tolls and all that stuff. Can we talk about some objective things that changed a country that was completely destroyed by World War One and the uh, and all of the, the you know being saddled with the bill? For World War One, can we talk about the turnaround? Can we talk about things that are objective? And where the hell do we have the moral basis of saying, oh, no, there's, there's nothing that could have ever come objectively good out of Nazi-controlled Germany, as if we are not as bad as the Nazis in so many ways when you really dig into it. So I understand what you're talking about with everybody, you know, being too, you, you, we can't have an objective conversation about anything. Don't talk about Ted Kaczynski's work because he killed three people along the way, which is obviously a horrible thing. But, yeah. uh, you know, that's, like I said, everything comes with a, dis a disclaimer this day, uh, these, this day and age. One last question yeah. for you. You tweeted this out, uh, I think about a, a week or two ago. You said, if you're a white guy, there exists a playlist of maybe a dozen songs that will have Popeye spinach effect on you. Numb by Linkin Park is definitely one of them. Uh, have you since released any of the other 11 songs? I have not yet. Maybe I'll have to on like a morphine dripper, like a breadcrumb trail. And, you know, people misunderstood this. And it's one of those things where on paper, you're not going to get it. It's one of those things that you have to hear and then it achieves something physiologically. I mean, you literally, your body chemistry changes when you hear certain songs as a white guy. Numb by Linkin Park. Some people are like, Linkin Park's cringe. Look, I've never been a Linkin Park fan, but that song still is one of them, whether or not you like it. Um, I would argue another example would be even in the end by Linkin Park. Um, another one, The Kill by 30 Seconds to Mars. Like, there's just like a handful of these songs. And people thought that, oh, well, what about like, you know, uh, this song by Jimmy Buffett? Or what about like this song by Bon Jovi? And it's like, or another one was a Don't Stop Believing by Journey. These are all good suggestions, but the the essence of what we're trying to achieve with this playlist is a very particular thing uh, that you experience as a white guy, which is kind of like a simultaneous feeling of like, you know, I've been pushed to my limit. Uh, and then also just like, but I'm not going to take it anymore. It's like this very unique thing, which is why, you know, phrases like the silent majority in politics, for example, really resonate with white voters. Because what you're saying when you say the silent majority is you're saying, I have the power and I can do this. 
but I've been silent, which I shouldn't have been, but you know what? I'm just a nice guy. This is like the essence of being a white guy. You know, you're always just punished for being nice to people and it's a thankless job. And so that is sort of what's being communicated with songs like that. I don't even know the lyrics to half of them, but you just like hear this, you know, like, uh, I'm numb, I'm mad at the world, but I've had enough. I've had it up to here and I'm finally going to give them a piece of my mind. It's just such like a uniquely white trope, I think, especially for young white guys. Did you ever hear, uh, that reminds me of Patrice O'Neill's uh, sketch on uh, on white people, uh, how they react when uh, when Radiohead's Creep comes on. Oh, you have to see that. Yes. Yeah, no, yeah. that's the same thing. That, another one is Creep. It's just like, yeah, so <laughs> it's, it's so It's hilarious. It's hilarious. It's tr- it's really true. Uh, oh, man, yeah. I was, that's, that, that's it. Well, listen, John, you've been a, a, a wonderful guest. It's great to have you back. I'm glad you're doing so well, and uh, I hope we get to do this again soon. Is there is there any kind of a... A broadcast schedule that you're on, podcast. I know that you don't you don't update that much on your YouTube, um, but uh, I know that you're very busy. So where can people follow your work? Uh, I guess the best for the day to day would be Twitter, uh, Comrade Doyle. But there is going to be more content on YouTube soon. I'm actually I went to a HBCU and I uh, had a change my mind table with the premise that America is not racist, and that resulted in a very interesting afternoon. Uh, so that footage is going to be hopefully going up on Juneteenth, which is next Tuesday, I believe. So pretty excited about that. Uh, had some good conversation. It was really educational, actually, in the sense that you really get an understanding of how. Uh, people view like you know race in America and sort of this like seven avenues that that conversation can take whether it's police brutality redlining uh, things like that it, it always goes one of like seven ways and I think that we we're able to address that in real time pretty well so I'm looking forward to releasing that actually that's what I'm working on after we get done here well there you go the John Doyle YouTube there is heckoffcommy.com correct Yes. I got that in the in the description of the episode, and you can find him on Twitter. That is at Comrade Doyle. And, John, I hope you come back again soon, and we uh, we, we have some more good times. And thank you for the, uh, the evening. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. It was a blast. All right, take care, man. See you. There you go. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we got plenty to talk about. Um, let's, uh, let's take a really quick break. When we come back, I want to open up the lines, especially about CPS, anything else that was discussed tonight. There is plenty to sink your teeth into. Don't go anywhere. It's intermission time, folks. Time out to press the like button. Thank you. Welcome to intermission. We'll, we'll be right back. Entering 
quite frankly. 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 We all support quite frankly. Not quite. Quite frankly. Joe Brandon. Quite frankly. And Roma Italia. Quite frankly. You're going on Frank's show tonight? I want to get a Coke. Can I get a Coke? So everybody watch. Quite frankly. With Frank. Quite frankly. How dare you? Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. So, as you can see, John is uh, very... Very blunt. Very blunt. And I'm sure that um, some things he was saying is could be a bit challenging. And, and if you have any pushback on things, I'd love to hear it. Because that's the whole point of talk show. We bring on people from who are attacking issues from different angles. And, um, and I like to see how it all, it all shakes out in the end. So I have a, another example here. Before I get to all, our, all of our super chats, this 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 mother from California talking about CPS in California, um, how CPS, along with her daughter's, her now deceased daughter's, school guidance counselor, other trans students who pushed her in this direction to become what she believed would have been a man, and she eventually took her life. Um, it's it's really I was watching this before I tweeted it out on on my uh, my account on the Twitter account don't really want to spend too much time listening to it right now but it really is something because I want to just spend more time with the calls and the super chats but this is just one of those things where uh, again CPS child protective services why would you ever want to examine what child protective services does in some kind of a critical way obviously they are there to to serve children in need but is it really that or is it becoming an ideological enforcement unit and has it been that way for a long time because this is not the only time that i've brought this up on the show cps horror stories people in the audience who have called in to talk about how they were rooked of chances to be intimately involved in the raising of their children because of one thing or another being on the shitty end of a political stick especially if you're a man who wants to be around their children but the mother does not want it the courts cps everything stacks up against men in this country in in horrible ways from the no-fault divorce laws to everything else um so I'd love to hear what you have to say about that. And then also just about what we got going on generationally. 
Here's a parent of a Gen Z, class of 21-23, says COVID delayed major milestones and even wiped some of them completely off for two years. No prom, school events, graduation, sports, no in-person classes, etc. They were also hit hard by Sandy Hook. Elementary schools changed policies and became fortresses. Kids were old enough to comprehend death and that kids like them can and will be killed. Everyone was talking about how uh, how Littles died. Heck, if I can remember seeing the, ch- the Challenger explosion in first grade, they remember Sandy Hook. Like it or not, mass shootings had an everlasting effect on them. Mass shooting drills were often. School mandatory lockdowns again were often. Reporting on mass shootings became more prominent. They remember a bit of the recession. Things were tight. Teachers demanded lots of money from parents and scammed or shamed kids who didn't have money to bring at the- give them at the time. Some teachers were just plain horrible and nightmarish. Social media didn't help. We kept them off and didn't uh, give them a cell phone until high school. Now, talking to them as adults, they feel society in general is a huge cluster F. Inflation, violence, theft, all their friends' uh, friends parents are basically divorced. Jobs are horrible. College is predatory and time sucker, complete waste of money. Unstable politics, hit it and quit it relationships, etc., They just want to live life in peace, work hard, and ultimately have less stress. They do believe in marriage, yet they prefer not to have any kids. They don't want their kids to go through what they went through society-wise. That is from uh, Doreen. That's a a pretty interesting... Obviously, this is an anecdotal perspective, but a, a very interesting one. When you think about that, that kind of influence on that Zoomer generation as they're coming up. How can that have an impact on nihilism and their outlook on life and their prospects and and all that other stuff? It's probably an explanation as to where all the so-called indigo children have gone. You remember the indigo children we used to hear a lot about? Children who are just born gifted. I guess all of them have been scouted out by the gate program by now. But how many uh, of those children have had that kind of that kind of light snuffed out in some way. Let's take some some super chats and then some calls. Let's see. Over on Rumble, JDog28 says, Happy birthday to Trump. From all of us on Rumble on the QF, uh, quite frankly, show. Yes, from all of us. I hope he sees this one. Thank you so much, JDog. Uh, Kathy1010 says, I always enjoy your show. Thank you, Kathy. It's great to hear from you. Costco Law School says, can you ask John Doyle why he stopped Heck Off Kami, and will he record any more episodes? Well, I'm glad that you asked the question that we kind of got an answer for in the last bit there, Costco. Um, I should have asked about Heck Off Kami. I know that he hasn't uploaded anything to his channel in over two months. I noticed that. But uh, it seems like something else is coming up. And he's been making appearances on, on other big podcasts, like that whatever podcast is huge. Um, you guys have probably seen shorts and reels of that podcast popping up in all of your, your suggested tabs. And he was on that recently. And John's the kind of guy who can start a nightly or a weekly broadcast from his setup over there and probably do very well for himself. And he would have no time, no problem filling up an hour, taking some calls, answering some questions from the audience. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, Jenna. I think that's, wait, Lena, Lena, 2424 says, thank you, Frank. 
My husband and I have been with you since 2020. You are making a huge difference in so many lives. That's so nice of you, uh, Lena, and so nice of you to become a monthly supporter. I wish that Rumble would give us a couple of more subscription and super chat or Rumble rant management tools to make this platform more tenable for me in a way where I can say, hey, you can become a monthly supporter on Rumble and you would get all of the universal perks that everybody on quitefrankly.tv gets. You know, the, the, if I'll have your email, I'll be able to get you our unlisted links for Sunday, for book club access to messaging and anything else. But they just don't have that yet. I appreciate all of the monthly support, though, that people are pledging, and hopefully that can turn around. I have other things to put out there like that, too, soon. All right. Stostube says, just a super chat donation here from the Stubes. We support independent media, especially when it's as uh, wonderfully entertaining and informative as, quite frankly, much love sent your way, Frank, to your great family and also to the Frankly fans out there. I really appreciate that a lot. Thank you, Sean Joe. Thank you, Neo. Over on Foxhole says, a million pre-1982 pennies would weigh between 5,512 to 6,800 pounds in about five minutes of wasted time calculating that. Wow. Nearly 7,000 pounds? Now, why the range? A million pre-1982 pennies would weigh between 5,512 to 6,856 pounds. Why such a range? where you have a, a margin of error of over a thousand pounds. Why is that? Did they change in weight in a significant way over the course of however many years? That, that seems like a very large margin of error. Thank you, Sean Joe. Thank you, Axopax. It says positive vibes coming your way. I appreciate, I appreciate that. Okay, let's take a call. First one up is King. What's going on, King? On Trump's birthday, no less. What's happening, baby? How you been? I've been pretty good. How about you? I'm all right. I'm all right. I really am. I think, uh, you know, all things considered. Good, good. That's good to hear. Um, happy birthday to the God Emperor, by the way. Yes. And if I could just point out, and this might be a little bit of a shameless plug, so please forgive me. But um, my Trump tribute video I made, I used the uh, Hold On, I'm Coming from Sam and Dave. And I, that was completely picked out on my own. And then I noticed Trump, the, the, the um, speech he made after he got arraigned, as he left the stage, he left the stage to that song. Frankie, wouldn't that be amazing if he saw my video? It would be here. I'm going to hold on a second. I got it. I got it right here. One second. Just for everybody who doesn't know, uh, uh, King's, here's King's, there you go. King 40, spelled out F-O-R-T-Y. This is the latest one that you just put out today. And it's a uh, Trump 2024. You put this together yourself? I did. That's all me, brother. Man. You're getting good with the video editing. Well, thank you, sir. And this is a passion. Um, I can tell that this is a passion sorry, of yours. Go ahead. I can tell that this is a passion of yours now. It kind of is. <laughs> it kind of is. A little bit, you know what I mean? Um, if I could touch on real quick um, something you and your esteemed guest was talking about. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what generation I'm considered from. 
Um, but the guys he was talking about that fucked up society and shit, I just t- like to remind him and you and everybody in the audience that wasn't all of us back then. Like those dope smoking Led Zeppelin hippies, me and my friends used to beat up. We hated them, okay? So just to let people know, that wasn't all of us back then. I hated them Led Zeppelin fucks, them fucking punks, all right? And we used to knock them around. Yeah, you were. Just for the record. Yeah, just for the record, you were trying to make sure that we were free and clear of them, but you couldn't get them all. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know I, what I mean? I, well, you know, me, Frank Rizzo, all guys like us. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I uh, last night when we were doing another another similar conversation, we were talking about generational, generational, uh, you know, thoughts and faith and and you know how people deal with themselves getting older and all that stuff. Um, I, I th- that also came up too that this is never a broad stroke. Now, obviously, uh, you know, John Doyle is like I said, very blunt, and he he comes uh, he he comes you know you know packing uh, a punch of his own, and it's going to be. No, I liked your guess absolutely. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but he's. I like that kid. No, He's a good kid right there. I saw, yeah. And he tried to add a little bit of context to that, too, and disclaim. But, you know, I, I know. There's a lot of broad stroking that goes on when we get into topics like this. And, uh, you know. But you know what, though? That's, that's to be expected. No offense is taken. I'm just, like, clarifying a little bit. You know what I mean? I don't want people thinking, because I'm from that certain generation, that I even like them fucks. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. But also, if, if, I, if I could just say one thing, too, um, when you said, oh, well, you know, when you get to a certain age, you know, you're not, uh, what did you say as far as, like, being attractive? No, I, I said, if, oh, hold on. Oh, oh, okay. I forget what you said. Was, it don't matter. But, but let me tell you something, broids. Pushing 60 years old, believe it or not, and I still attract the broids. But I do have a confession to make to the ladies. My brajol is two inches. No. From the floor. <laughs> right. Well, that's... The, From the floor, baby. Something that needs to be dealt with, I guess. <laughs> Thank you for the call, King. <laughs> no problem, brother. All right. See you later. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. Every once in a while, you hit a wall. But um, not King, obviously. Let's see here. Let's take another call. Let's take a call. So we're talking about CPS. We're talking about, you know, some more generational issues here. We're talking about RFK, whatever you want. The last 20 minutes are all yours. Let's go to Sean, Cursed Ute. What's going on, Sean? Hey, Frank. Great show, man. How's it going? Oh, it's going. It's going. So what what, what really hit you tonight? Uh, Great guest. But what I was going to say is... uh, I'm back uh, being a political prostitute, and I'm working in Iowa on a campaign. I can't tell you which one. I signed an NDA. But I'll tell you this. I first started in politics in 2014 out here in Iowa working on Senator Joni Ernst's campaign. And I was back here in 2018 getting Kim Reynolds elected governor. This year I'm out here, and Iowa has completely changed. I'm driving around rural Iowa, and I swear to God, probably one in every six or seven farms is flying the pride flag or the trans flag. 
What? I've never seen that before in my life. There are several gay bars in Des Moines, Iowa, and also a couple in Sioux City, Iowa. The whole world has changed, man. It's unbelievable. Really? Yeah. Farms. I never saw anything like that before out here. But they've even gotten to all the rural Iowa farmers. And, yeah. oh, I talked to somebody, and, again, I can't tell you who I'm working with, but I talked to a woman the other day, and I said, well, you know, I'm here representing so-and-so. And she says, oh, I could never vote for that person because my daughter would disown me. And basically she was saying that, yeah, her daughter is turned gay, and she, it's, it's a different world, man. And, again, it goes right back to this Gen Z. I think Alex Jones was right. I think the water's turning all the frogs gay out here. So, okay, wow. I mean, obviously you're not going to be able to tell me who you're working for, but it doesn't matter because it's it's not a progressive. That's all that uh, that, that, that matters. It just on the, yeah. the general the general food fight level of, of politics, it's that's just uh, that's really something else to hear, Sean. Uh, keep a, keep us abreast because obviously your your life is going. You're going to have a lot of um, you're going to have a lot of insight into things like you just share with us, even more so over the next year, as uh, we we are deeper into primary season and then the, the full on campaign for 2024. So keep in touch and let us know what you're seeing on the ground. You got it. And oh, oh hey, uh, again, you turned me on to that Devil in the White City book. Yeah, I'm, I'm just dying to get into that and read that over again. That was an awesome book. That's going to be a great book club. I, I'm, I'm telling you, people are going to love that. And I do not. A lot of people have skipped out on this one uh, with the. Well, a lot of uh, monthly subscribers have skipped out on this one with Shoeless Joe, and it's fantastic. But in August. Devil in the White City, you that's a book that you walk away feeling satisfied that every page you want to read three times over because it's not fantasy. You get real incredible facts about events. It's not even the murder side of it. It's the logistics of the Chicago Fair. Yeah. You know, the the Ferris wheel being Pullman railroad cars and stuff it's it's incredible information it's, it's a it, great it, book it really is it really is you get to learn a lot about the people who do, who uh, created some of the the greatest cities on earth i mean what we know about new york city the people who created who built the brooklyn bridge the people who designed central park that were brought in to chicago to create a sprawling white palace out of the middle of a swamp in like record time it's it's just really um, it's going to be amazing. I can't wait for to read that again in August and uh, and yeah that'll be a, that'll be a good one. Thanks for the call, Sean. You bet, man. Take care. All right, later. Yes, listen. There's there's a lot of things there. Um, when it comes to uh, when it comes to the environment, and I always talk about nature over uh, nurtured over nature versus nurture. It is apparent to me, I don't, you know, uh, one way or another, one way or another, I don't go on any, I don't go on any crusades. I don't try to, you know, uh, uh, to, to really add any pressure to people's lives who are living one way or another, if they're gay, if they're bisexual or whatever it is, it's not really, it's really not my business. If it ever becomes my business where it gets this what's going on outside gets closer to my home and my uh my family 
then that's something that I, I have to have some open conversations about. But we are so far beyond, so far beyond what is, could be a natural occurrence. We are talking about a nurtured environmental assault. And it is taking people out of normal behavior patterns and developmental patterns and putting them into something that is by definition abnormal. Now, I'm not going into the morality of what is evil. Obviously, an assault, uh, taking away a child's innocence, uh, whatever the hell it is, that's that's something totally different. But as far as just a, a person being gay... Um, I think we're just so far a- away from what the, what the conversation used to be. So far away from it. For example, people saying that over the, the course of the last nearly 100 years now, when we start taking, a, taking note of people who are autistic since the early 20th century, somewhere around 1937, 8, 9, around 1940 right there, you start seeing the, the diagnosis of, of, uh, of, of autism. And especially into the 50s, 60s, 70s and beyond, you start seeing a slow rise and then a, an outright explosion where I believe one in six children or some crazy ratio at this point you start wondering, uh, they say, oh, that's just because there's, there's better screening, and there, actually, this is just naturally what it is. Uh, we, were, we were designed to have one in six children be diagnosed with autism or something like that. You say, really? I'm not, it's not a judgment thing. It, it's, a, it's like a, an intelligent design thing. Really? This is just, this is just naturally occurring, this explosion? And when you can see things that, you know, you you see things that are moving parallel to those trends in supporting them but we're told not to look at them because you are you're committing some kind of a thought crime or whatever the hell it is or you're bigoted if you say that it is not possible for 20% of the new generation to be homosexual and or believing that they are in the wrong body it's not possible 20%? If this was naturally what it was always supposed to be, we would have been extinct a long time ago. That's what I'm saying. Um, it's just, uh, it's, it's something else. And it's all part of the mind games being played. 914-200-2080. 269. Call in. 914-200-0269. I should have had that up before. Uh, Matt says, hey, Frank, the libtards and their special interest groups won't make it to Tennessee. They are aborting and contracepting themselves into extinction. Also, two roosters can't make a chicken. I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. John, what's going on, John? Holy cow, let, let me shut you off. Excuse me, pardon me, man. What am I, rookie? Oh, it's oh, John from Frank, Connecticut. How you doing, pal? Oh, what's going on? It's the uh, first time I saw you. Go ahead, John from Connecticut. It ain't no thing. I'm just, I don't know. The rainbows are not meaning the right thing anymore, and we got to take the rainbow back, I think. Well, I mean, uh, I, again. What is that topic tonight? I don't know. It seems like all crazy, like everything is crazy and everybody's crazy, right? I, I guess that's a topic, calling about the crazy that, that's really getting you crazy, yeah. <laughs> no. 
the uh, I don't even know how to even explain it. The uh, <laughs> okay. uh, fifth generation warfare. Uh, uh, what do you call it? General Flynn's been warning us about. Everybody's saying stuff. Then you see uh, Rachel Madcow say it right on TV. Then they put the PBS warning label underneath the PBS thing that you get for free TV, right, that says Trump is going to say bad shit. Don't listen. I mean, where are we in this world? I'm well, old. Not that old, but older than you. Well, yeah, uh, I, I think. I saw you said something. Go ahead. And well, at this point, and thank you for the call, John. I, I need to make these snappy for the last 10 minutes. Thank you so much for calling in. It's true. It is a crazy world out there. And uh, even though you're not that old, I'll tell you, I'm old enough to remember, because it just started happening right now, when news organizations didn't have to put little uh, context labels at the bottom of the screen to let everybody know that listening to a politician can lead to violent behavior because that's the funny thing about what that that lower third was all about where the hell is it here's the lower third again they tried to generalize it they weren't even tr they're trying to make it seem as if this is just a, a you know a rule across the board just a little context warning so you can keep in mind whenever you watch anybody uh who is a you know a, a public figure speaking Experts warn that inflammatory rhetoric from elected officials or people in power can prompt individual actors to commit acts of violence. You think that they're going to have that context label up the next time that Joe Biden stands in front of a uh, of Independence Hall as, as it is awash in demonic red light and he's as he's condemning half of the country as extremists. You think that context label is going to be there? They make it generalize as if. You know, they just want, oh, general context warning. We're going to introduce it to you for uh, Donald Trump. I, I wonder next time that Nancy Pelosi stutters her way through a public address, if that's going to be standing under there. I wonder. I really do. Let's take a call. 272, you're on the air. What do you got for us? <laughs> Hola, Francisco. How are you doing? Who's this? It's great to have you on. It, it's Cubby. Who? Cubby. Cubby. Well, Cubby, welcome back yeah. to the show. I'm so, I probably had you yeah. stored in the old the old yeah, system. Yeah, the old number. Yeah, you didn't save me in this one. I saw the end. Oh, hey. But, uh, yeah, go, going back to previous shows, yeah, I could speak a couple of different languages and everything like that. Uh, first off, uh, I got a couple of friends that, like, were watching the show. The, the last time I called in, they'd like to say hi to Wendy, Mike, the other Mike, uh, Jim. So... Oh well, well, hello to them all. They're out there. They were they were laughing. I, I called in. I was pranking you and Matt. Well, right. oh well, I, I actually that's I I love that call. I know what you're talking about now. Can you do you yeah, have do you yeah, have yeah, a, Centralia and everything? Yeah, ha I, tell Matt I'm sorry. He was talking about nothing but trouble when he was talking about Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, that was actually inspired by that. That was actually filmed close to here too. The, well, one scene was filmed here. So what but, do you um, do? Because we're running out of time here. Do you have anything from the the show? Do you have a CPS uh, oh, horror story? Yeah. Or? Uh, um. One, one thing about uh, you know, uh, Antarctica and everything like that. I actually had a friend that lived in Antarctica. We'll do Antarctica tomorrow. Like a, we'll do Antarctica tomorrow. I promise you that. So do you have anything about oh, tonight? Greenland is very important. Remember how Donald Trump said said something about buying Greenland? Everybody laughed at him. Uh huh. That's uh, that's kind of something that you. Uh, 
maybe take a look at. Okay, I'll take a look uh, at that, and maybe maybe it'll it'll pop up tomorrow at some point. Anything about CPS or anything like that? No, I mean, you know, those are, you know. Things I'd, I'd rather stay away from, you know. Oh, okay. Well, thank you, thank you so much. And may, maybe I'll get your call tomorrow when we're talking about all the things that you wanted to talk about tonight. Thank you, thank you, Cubby. All right, brother. I leave it to you. All right. Be well. Be well. Be well. Apitardi. Okay. Let's go to nine one four two hundred zero two six nine. I know that there's a lot of CPS horror stories out there. I know it. Obviously. 40 minutes to be able to take calls. I thought we would have uh, got a few in. 413, what's going on? Hello? Hello. Hi, Frank. Hey, who's this? How you doing? I'm doing all right. Grady Shot. Grady, how you doing? Great to have you on, Grady. Um, actually, great guest tonight. I'd like to go back to something from yesterday. Locality of Heaven. Oh, okay. Um, I think of it kind of like... Where is the Frankly show? You have a studio, you have a presence, but you're a center of a show, but where is the show located? Hmm. Where Everywhere, is Everywhere, in a sense. It's, but... So if it's a presence, a real presence, that's not a physical presence, but it's also not dimensional. It's sort of abstract, but it's a real abstract. Does it make any sense? Well, yeah. Um, yes, I know. You know, I know what you're talking about. Um, here, here's what can, pops up for me. In January, when me and, or I should say, Timothy Gordon and I were doing the C.S. Lewis, The Great Divorce, read through for the first wonderful book. Yeah. Did you watch? Did you read that along with us? I did. Okay. So, at one point there, you're talking about how. Heaven, heaven expresses itself when you when the painter goes and is able to you know view the landscape on Earth over here or see a sunset or anything like that. You are able to actually take that snapshot of what is heaven, and it is mm-hmm. there. I mean that that is something that that you see. You see, you can hold on to as much as you can. Maybe you can transfer into a painting or whatever. But as far as the source of it, you know that it is a reflection of a world that you have you have yet to flirt with, and uh, it is a world where that is the standard. So, but you know, whereas I understand in a, in a little sense here, this show could be could be listened to if you are driving overnight through middle of america you can watch it on a beach somewhere you can download it and listen to it anywhere anytime it doesn't have to be live you can watch it anywhere doesn't matter what the hell is going on so the the show can be projected and reflected upon whatever surface and whatever location you're in but there is an origin there is an origin right. for that projection. The origin is in this room, and uh, I am the creator of it. So, it, so in a sense, go ahead. So I'm, I'm just saying, in a, in a sense, you're right that there is a there's there's a way for that that heaven or this show. I'm not con- comparing this show to heaven, <laughs> nor am I comparing myself to God. By the way. But I'm just, you know, no, if you're, just going to go there. you know, I'm just, that, that's um, what I'm saying. Whereas it can be found places, there has to be an origin for it all, a source for where those glimpses come from. Right. I, I would make, say, God is not physical in the sense that 
except perhaps in the sense that God expresses himself through his creation, so creation itself is a reflection of God. Mm. But that God as a source of heaven, but God as a source of the universe, heaven is a way of seeing the universe, the kingdom of heaven being within, the kingdom of heaven being at hand. It's a good, it's a, it's a, it's a very uh, soothing point. I like that point, and thank, uh, and thank you for it. Also, really, really quick, I grew up in Maine. We understood we don't eat oysters in months that don't have an R. Okay. Tips of summer. We want to grow that in, too. So months that don't have an R. May, June, July, August. And that's from a Mainer. That's from somebody who knows. Yeah. I'm, that's, you, okay. that's the way I grew up hearing it. All right. So in those ones, do you still eat them to this day? But you just pick and choose your months. I can't stand. I can't stand raw oysters. Okay. I eat cooked ones anytime. I just can't personally stand raw oysters. <laughs> I love fried. I, I love fried. I love fried oyster. Fried and stripped uh, oysters. I love oyster strips fried. I think those are great. Uh, I like conch strips. When I was in the Bahamas, everybody eats conch down there. Um, mm-hmm. But up in Maine, my favorite is fried clams, whole belly fried clams. Really? Well, they, I, Maine, yeah. Maine, Maine is where I, I I had my first proper lobster roll, and I still dream about it. I told Lauren that we have to go back for our anniversary, maybe next year, and I, I've got to have another May, a lobster roll in there in Maine, and that's hot, uh, a toasted hot dog bun, lobster, hot butter, nothing else. You're right. Although I will say, yep. in, in a pinch. In a pinch, I'll take a cold lobster roll as well. But if I can, uh, if I can it's have not it, not quite the same, but good too. Yeah, yeah, I know. But but hot, hot and buttered. There's nothing like it. Thank you for the call. This is a very nice, nice call. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Frank. All right. All right. All right. So listen, I have a lot of things that have been coming in over the last couple of days. I have a lot of testimony. A lot of great reviews of past shows, uh, people talking about heaven, locality, like just that right there. Uh, people just talking about the the call, the the quality of the calls, and how uh, amazing we've been having a good. There's a lot that I want to throw out there. That'll probably be on Friday night with Matt. We're going to be doing a lot of mixed stuff on Friday. Tomorrow night we're going to get into a lot of the Philip Schneider Antarctica. Uh, UFO alien encounter stuff with Brooks Agnew. That's what we'll do for the show leading up to, uh, until about 8.20, and then we'll get off for the uh, the book club. But before we go, I have to talk about our badass of the night. Do you understand who this badass is? Do you get it? Hold on a second. Let me see. Let's see. Who's the badass of the evening? I don't know. That's some badass shit. It's pretty badass. Yes, it is pretty badass. So who are we talking about tonight? Tonight's badass is a man named Cassius Clay, a prominent 19th century politician who spent his career fighting against slavery. He served in the Kentucky House of Representatives and was appointed as ambassador to Russia by Abraham Lincoln. 
1810, Clay was born into one of the wealthiest slave-owning families in Kentucky, but later became a staunch abolitionist while attending Yale University. The stories of Clay fighting off assailants sound like stuff of legend. During a heated public debate, for example, a hired killer fired a bullet into Clay's chest just as he was unsheathing his Bowie knife, which took the hit and saved his life. Despite fragments of the knife getting lodged in his chest, Clay sliced off the man's nose and one of his ears before throwing him off the stage. When six men wielding knives and clubs attacked Clay at another public meeting, he was stabbed in the back but was still able to end the fight by gutting one of them and causing the rest to flee. In 1845, Cassius Clay began publishing an anti-slavery newspaper called True American. He installed armored doors at the printing press as well as two cannons. A pro-slavery mob of 60 men still stormed the building and forced the publication to relocate to a free state, but Clay himself remained in Kentucky. A decade and a half later, Clay organized a defense unit that protected the White House when the Civil War erupted. While serving as ambassador to Russia during during the war, he helped to, to secure Russia's support for the Union. Uh, President Lincoln then recalled him from Russia in 1862 to serve as general in the Union Army. Clay publicly refused the position unless the president issued a proclamation freeing all slaves under the Confederate control, which a Abraham Lincoln did later that same year. Nine years after Cassius Clay's death in 1903, a man named Herman Heaton Clay whose ancestors had been enslaved by the Clay family, named his son after the knife-wielding ab abolitionist. The Cassius Clay, born in 1912, would later name his son Cassius Clay Jr. Today, that man is better known as the champion boxer, Muhammad Ali. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's it for that. Hey, you know what's, what is another one of those? Uh, what, what is your pick for the, the white boy summer picks that just make you feel like you're... You're, you just ate some Popeye spinach. I don't think Baker Street is part of one of those things, but it's definitely a white guy song. Yeah. When you hear this, tell me that you see anything other than salmon-colored pants, salmon-colored shorts, and loafers with no socks on. Go ahead. Tell me you see anything other than that. Anyway, that's all I have for you tonight. I will see you tomorrow. Did I set up the in the, the outro? Of course I did, because I'm prepared. Tomorrow, 7 o'clock. Be here. Be here. Anything, oh, I'm sorry. Larkstar says, love offering another great show. A love offering for another great show. Thank you so much, Frank. Thank you, Lark. Father Matt, thank you again. And uh, let's see here. What else? Anything on, on Rumble I didn't miss? I just want to make sure I did not miss anything on Rumble. Good. And on Pilled, Nao says big pennyweight range. Oh, hold on. Big pennyweight range because apparently they are between 2.5 and 3.11 grams, and you'll never read this. I didn't know that pennies could, could vary so much. Thank you, Bacon Slut. Thank you, Robert. Sarns and uh, away we go tonight ladies and gentlemen on quite frankly TV for the Wednesday night rabbit hole Wednesday or just Wednesday on QFTV we have the best of Jesse Lee Peterson the JLP rabbit hole it will be amazing that's amazing 
So we'll see you guys. We'll go to quitefrankly.tv and settle into the chat room and have a good time like everybody always does. And uh, say hello to Abe and Cody and whoever's hanging out there. And I'll be there before you know it. Nighty night. I'll catch you on the flip side. Quite frankly, is film before a live studio audience. And now, our super chatters, starting with Larkstar, Father Matt, and Stostube. To all of our wonderful friends on the Rumble, thank you to Lena2424, to Costco Law School, to Kathy1010, to JDog28. You guys and gals have been wonderful to me, and again, I can't wait to see you tomorrow. Good night. Just a little bit of a reminder, a word to the wise, if you will. Do not worry about the worries from yesterday. Leave it in the past. Move forward with confidence because there are so many new things to be experienced today. New joy to be had. So move forward, be strong, and have a great rest of your day.